Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is sponsored by TriVegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Friday with friends, and I have a dear friend with me, Miss Kimberly Gianelli. She is my PR genius who is helping Lit Method, Lit Yoga go to a new level. And I'm so excited to have her here today. Welcome, Kim. Uh, thanks. Nice to talk to you as always. As always, we see each other quite a bit. So I want to just walk it back a little bit because I'm also curious. How did you get into the world of PR? We should also mention you have been a dancer, ballet dancer. You continue to dance, perform, and teach. Is that what got you into PR? Or tell us a little Uh, bit about that. Yes, indirectly. Um, I've been dancing professionally since I'm 16. And... You know, the life of a dancer in New York is very difficult. It's it's not a linear career at all. And I was freelancing with all these different companies. And while I was dancing, I was working at Lincoln Center. And working at Lincoln Center, you meet a lot of really inspiring people who have their hands in different aspects of the performing arts. And I was actually worked there for 10 years and did a little bit of marketing and just did a lot of community engagement and audience development. And it wasn't until I had danced with another company and I was talking to the director who was actually a former Marine and he has this amazing company called Exit 12. He's like, you know, I know someone who's looking for someone to do PR for the arts. And I'm like, well, that sounds perfect for me actually, because I can talk about the arts because I've lived it on all sides. I've done administrative, I've been on stage, I've been behind the scenes. And so that's kind of what started it. So I, I guess indirectly, I owe it all to uh, Ramon Baca, who recommended me for a job like 10 years ago. Wow. And did you learn on the, on the job? I mean, was that in your... I majored in psychology. So 
yeah, I, I had no pr- previous education about it. But I, what, yeah, what is public relations? Like, you know, a lot of people will say, this is PR, this is PR. What can you kind of break it down for us lay people what that, what that is, what that entails? Of course, public relations has shifted. What the definition has shifted a lot in, in, especially in recent times. To me, it's a little bit of everything because it's how to frame a company or individual and their message. And shape it into a story that has legacy and meaning to it. So PR can be it can be a press release. It can be putting someone on TV or in a newspaper, but it can also be their social media. It can be the way that they communicate to others about their work. It can be the messaging that they use to talk about the work they do. It can be about someone else celebrating the mission of how they're impacting the world around them. So PR wears a lot of hats, which is why my work with you wears a lot of hats because it really is anything that is external communication. So it's any message, whether it's visual, verbal, digital, about something to the external world. And it really has a lot of weight. It has the ability to really impact how your company is seen and put on the map. Right. And I feel like this is something that is, I think, underappreciated. I certainly underappreciated it because it's when you want something, like you said, to have legacy to, or even to have legs, let's say, to get going, to, to get outside of yourself and your own, especially if it's like something like me, where, where it is about me at, at, at the beginning, but then it, has, it becomes more about like what I've created, a product. Yeah, to have someone else who has the expertise and knowledge and you know, experience of taking that and getting eyeballs on it mm-hmm. is hugely important. Do you have any PR kind of mentors that you look to and like, well, they're, they do such a good job with this product or this person that you really, even if you don't know them, but you really like what they do? Do you have anybody like that? I watch a lot of news. I read a lot of articles and I see how stories are told. I think more than anything, I may not know the person that's lying behind the brand or the story, but I see the stories that are mattering and I see the pain points of the world around us and how stories should be being told and what stories could really help someone or educate someone or motivate someone or inspire someone to do something. And I, those are the stories that I try and place my clients in. So I can't say that I particularly have one mentor or role model that I look to, but I do look to the trends and I look to really what's going on around us. And these days, there's so much going on around us. And there's so many people... I don't want to say in need, but there's so many people in this position that someone else's story can really inspire them because we need we need that right now. We need to look towards people to build a community that that cheers each other on instead of tear each other down. Absolutely, I love that. Is the PR world is it a world that is that is uplifting or is there is it just like a lot of professions where there is some I don't want to say backstabbing but they that you're kind of trying to one up each other? Like what is that like if you were to to reach out to other PR specialists, how easy is that? And how much do you all kind of 
support and connect with each other? And I think it depends on the person. Um, I actually recently was connected with um, a publicist who just went out on her own. She was she was at a large firm, and one actually one of my other clients. It's her best friend, and she was like, "Oh, my friend just went out on her own. I'd love to connect you." And she and I have had some really great powwows already, and, and we've kind of talked about how refreshing it is to t- to be able to talk to each other, even though we're two separate entities, but we're able to help each other out. You know, I've given her a contact list. She's given me a contact list. Like we've bounced ideas off of each other because there's enough space for everybody. You know, it's everyone, everyone approaches the industry differently. Everyone has different contacts. Everyone has different strengths. You know, I've decided to live mainly in this arts, culture, fitness realm because that's where my passion lies. Whereas she has repped major restaurants and major retail, you know, big box stores. And that's not something that I have experience in. So it's great for us to kind of just stay connected and see how we can support each other without feeling like we're competing with one another because we're really not. Right. So how do PR people get their own PR? (laughs) Get their, you know, in terms of getting clients, because just like everyone else, you're your business is really relying on having clients um, and customers. I mean, I think the work speaks for itself, at least in my experience and my personal company. I mean, I've only built my company in the last year. And every single client of mine has come from word of mouth. It's come from someone seeing my work for another client or that I placed a story somewhere and board members of current clients have recommended me to other arts organizations and it's kind of grown from there. I've had to do zero new business outreach, um, which is not something I'm used to. You know, at the firm I used to work for, much of my week was about chasing down new clients. So it's it it's overwhelming that I have pe- so many people coming to me, um, especially in the last few months, because everyone is in a very calm state of crisis. But it's been really wonderful. And it's been really humbling to see that, wow, people are noticing my work and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm making an impact. You know, it's, it's PR, even though it's very social, it's also very lonely because it's, it's just constantly reaching out to, to people all day. And m- most of the time you're met with no response <laughs> or silence, right? So it's when you're able to build those relationships and make those connections like that's when it's really exciting when people are people stop what they're doing and they're sifting through their inbox that probably has thousands of pitches a day and they stop and whatever you wrote resonated with them enough to say hey tell me more and you know that's when i that's the confirmation i need to say like okay i'm doing i'm doing the right thing cuz it can be it can definitely put a lot of doubt if you're sending pitches that go unanswered for weeks at a time, which does happen. Right. It's kind of like an actor just trying That's auditioning, right. auditioning, auditioning, and just not landing a gig, but having to show up and right. you know, know, know his or her worth. Right. Um, so I think it would be fun. You've worked with me for over a year. Yeah. And I would love for you to tell everybody listening like a little bit of what you saw in my brand and your vision and how much you've helped me grow it. I mean, you've completely grown the Instagram page totally on your own. Maybe t- 
take people back to like what you saw and how what you've done and like some of your I'm not your only client, but some of your day when you're working on my stuff, like what does that look like? Okay. Well, I remember I first met you. Um, another mutual friend of ours introduced me to you. And I remember that first day that I sat across from the table from you and I just heard the way you spoke about movement. You know, and as someone who grew up moving and, you know, ballet and dance has been a huge part of my life and still is. And I've always spent so much of my day and my internal time thinking and dreaming about moving. And so to sit across from you and listen to your approach to movement, I just, I, I felt like I just was like absorbing everything you said. And it resonated with me in such a way that it made so much sense. And so. You know that was a very external experience of of you, and but just hearing about your mission, you know, and it wasn't until I, I took my first lit class, and you know, for some of it, and I'm sure a lot of your students can can kind of chuckle and, and relate. You know, that first class when they see you and they see what your body can do, and you know, they you're kicking up to the handstand, and I definitely stood there with my mouth open, like rolling my eyes, like I'm never going to be able to do that, you know, because ballet, you don't, it's not about upper body strength at all. It's about being hypermobile and it's a different kind of balance and everything's rotated out. And, you know, there were definite, definite deficiencies that became very apparent to me in my body as I started doing your classes. But I also noticed that it was changing my body and not just from a from a like a vanity standpoint but from a real structural way that my balance is my turns were getting better and you know I'm I'm older now it's I'm not in the audition circuit I'm not trying to land jobs anymore but I still work as if I was like my work ethic hasn't changed so it was really exciting for me to be able to employ what I was learning on the mat in the ballet studio because I, you know, I was still performing. I, if theaters ever open again, I hope to be still performing. But it just changed the way I approach movement in a, in a different way. And, and it's not necessarily about going to your max range all the time. And there is beauty in different nuances of control and strength that I think I wasn't informed enough to understand. So between talking to you and experiencing it and really seeing how much it changed my thinking and my feeling about my body, it was. It started becoming really easy to 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 figure out a way to talk about it. You know, I I had a very brief love affair with Bikram yoga. You know, for a few years there, I, I was borderline obsessive with it, and that was really my only other context of yoga. And so I I was able to know the differences and just kind of figure out what makes lit yoga unique and that's a no-brainer right it's your background it's your approach it's the fact that it's so anatomical and it's so holistic in the sense that it makes sense everything that you do and everything that you say has a reason behind it you're not doing it because it's been some practice that's been around for decades that people just do without questioning like you investigate every movement and why it's done. And I think for me, as someone who's so interested in anatomy, and I've had to learn a lot of anatomy from injuries over the years, that 
I felt empowered by having that knowledge of when I was doing something, this is what this is doing. Because then I was able to do that during the day and know why I needed to do that. Um, so talking about it for me is it's really second nature because it's something that I know that everyone needs. And it's been really great because so many people who I've told it about and you know, kind of pitched or sent a sample class or you know, introduced you, it's every kind of body type. It's every level of fitness. It's, it's not for people who are super flexible, super thin, super in shape. And that is the preconception that we need to keep breaking down. One of my friends said to me, oh, I have to get in shape first before I try yoga. And I'm like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like, Truly, yeah. But so many people, and I didn't realize until I started talking about yoga in a different way that so many people think that and feel that way. And it's, it's really interesting to me. It's like, well, how, are you, how do you expect to get in shape if you don't start moving your body? Like, right. I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I've never been someone to go to the gym. You know, I've always had ballet class. So I don't know, do people think that they have to go to a gym and run four miles to like get ready and be in shape? Like that, that's, it's always a very interesting mentality to me that I, I personally can't relate to. So I think it's just getting people up on the mat and just letting down their expectations, preconceived expectations and just going for it and just moving. Yeah, I think that's really the key is that we talk so much about be the movement, movement. And I think to that point that yoga is a lot about like shapes when people look at it from the outside. So it's like, I got to get in shape to be able to do that shape versus show up as you are and move your body and learn about your body where it is, you know, holding restrictions, where it's too flexible or too mobile, where you have to integrate more to your core. And as you said, I loved hearing it. You know, like you, then you start thinking about it, like when you're not on the mat. So it's really an education for this amazing instrument that we were birthed with, and uh, that is such a miracle in so many ways. And yeah, you don't have to like wait for the starter kit, you know. And but I agree. I think I, I think a lot of it is reframing. Right. That it is a movement that is um, that it's available for anyone, and you don't have to. But I, I, I've heard that so many times. Oh, I'm too, I'm too tight to do yoga. And it's like, I, I think it's because they've looked at so many pictures of shapes that yeah. they can't ever imagine getting into. What they don't realize is there is a movement to get into that, you know? And you also have to put it in perspective. You know, my whole life has been steeped in movement. Your whole life's work and mission is steeped in movement every day for how many years? So it's very foreign for us to, to think like, how could you think that way, right? But there's more people than not that you know, live very sedentary lives and not because they're lazy or they don't. It's just... I even see myself now that I'm not dancing professionally in a company, I, I can be at my desk 12 hours a day. And the most exercise I get is walking my dog. That's not enough. Yeah. And you know, and now if you're adding a spouse and kids and and all these other things into the day, like how do you find the time to to invest in yourself 
to do something for your body. It's not, it's not easy. And it's, it, it doesn't, it's not a natural choice. Like the natural choice is like, I have to cross all of these things off of my day and there's just not enough hours to do that. So what's the first thing that gets cut? Like me time, working out, moving my body, doing something that makes me feel good about myself. I mean, I, I fall into that trap too. I'll be taking ballet class or shamefully to say, even, even your class and I'm answering text messages or I'm answering emails for work. Like I just can't disconnect and what am I asking of myself? An hour, an hour and a half of it in a day? And I, the guilt that I feel when I know that my to-do list is growing, you know, so multiply that by all these people who have all these other responsibilities and it's, it's going to be the first thing that goes. And I think our job and my job is to really drive home why that has to stop, right? And when, when you can talk about all of the things that it impacts when you stop, then maybe people will say, oh, geez, I better, I better do something for myself, mm-hmm. right? Because when you talk about all the ailments that we have walking around, you know, back, neck, shoulders, tight hips, like just aches and pains of just getting up and moving, that's not normal. You shouldn't feel like that. And it's avoidable. And I even myself, I woke up with such a stiff neck the other day and that's my weak point. I have a lot of top first rib scalene issues. I've had that my whole career. And the first thing I did was I got on the mat and I, you know, I think I took Kristen's, one of her like neck classes. And I immediately was like, God, why did I wait so many days to do this? Like you have to do something every day. And I when agree. you don't, yeah. it, it really it backfires on you in a real way. I know it's so interesting because there's like things that we, you know, as adults, I'm not saying all kids will automatically do this, but non-negotiable. So we're brushing our teeth. Like you're going to brush your teeth. I'm hoping, you know, you just do it. It is not something that you forget about and go all day and are like, oh, well, I didn't get a chance to brush my teeth. So, so be it. And of course that is a short amount of time, but all you have to do is extrapolate out a little bit and be like, hey, how about if I did 15 minutes? Like right. you did, you know, get on the mat and do 15 minutes and give yourself that release focused font time and then do another 15 minutes at another point during the day. And, you know, it's the, the, the added moments of those opportunities. So I think sometimes people get overwhelmed with, I don't have an hour. Right. And I'm like, we all know, of course you have an hour or you're on your phone five hours. You've got to, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm sure, you know, that's not work time. So it's like, Figure out and 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 really make it part of your day, just like you're brushing your teeth. It's a non-negotiable because it is going to affect the way you feel in your body. It affects your energy. It affects your choices of what you eat. Totally it affects does. like how you behave, how you respond. It'll affect your performance. I mean, all these things we know. These have been science scientifically proven, but we know it. We don't even need data because yeah. we have the data in our own computer. Like, which is our... Yep. Yeah. Like this week I took ballet, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday. I skipped Thursday, yesterday. I feel so exhausted on the days that I don't start my day with that. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing how different my energy level is and my, like, my motivation to just... I just feel like I don't... I just feel like I don't want to do anything. It's, it's so strange how that 
can really set your, your whole day up and your whole energy and your productivity in other places. So it's, we need to start normalizing it. We need to make it be the equivalent of brushing your teeth. We need to mm-hmm. make people understand that you don't have to go to the gym or you, you, know, you don't have to run a marriage. Like, I think we, we live in this place of extremes. I'm certainly guilty of that, especially growing up as a dancer. Like everything that I did was done in extreme, whether it was pushing my body or dieting or just being a perfectionist, you know. And so I think we live in this all or nothing. And there's this mentality of like, well, I'm already out of shape, so I might as well just eat this. Or I'm already fat, so I'm just gonna eat this. Or, you know, I'm already being lazy. So what's one more day? Or we just we get to these extreme places where it's this all or nothing and it doesn't have to be that way. Also, we're, um, so many people are not embodied. They're not connected. So the, the communication that they'll get, I mean, the body is always talking to us. You right. know, there's that great book, the body, the body tells the story or, you know, and it's essentially that, and that's what I think we do a lot in this lit method is we are improving the communication. Yeah. So that you, yeah, you don't wait until your neck is sore to do something or you don't wait until, or on the other hand, like I've had super young people who have low back pain and they actually stop moving because they think, because their interpretation is, I better not move. It makes it worse. I have pain. It's going to be like this the rest of my life. And the first, and I've had this like literally six times in the past month where I've looked at the person, I said, you're going to be fine. You need to move. Yeah. You, this is not like your back is telling you to move. Your back's pain, quote unquote, and all that communication is there. So you're not moving optimally, right? But start there. And so a lot of it is like really, I, I wish if we had all the time in the world and all the energy, I really wish we could create like a huge PR plug for starting movement and body education at a very young age. Yeah. So that it is just because kids, we know they naturally know what to do. They're getting up, they're moving. They're like little squirrels. They've got, <laughs> they've got to move around, and to get them to come and sit and like be still is much harder. Sure. What what changes when you go from like the busy squirrels who can't stop moving to sit down and have a snack or whatever to like you can't get them out of off the the chair right. to just go out and take a walk? It's like with again, we got these two extremes. And I believe a lot of that has to do with, yeah, the priorities. What we're teaching kids at a young age, we don't teach them about the body. We're walking around the body. People don't know anything about their body. They don't know the names of the bones. They you know, might know some muscles. They don't know what they're there for. Uh, you know, and, and, and you don't have to go and be a PT, but you can learn. This is the reason you want to move these big synovial joints every day. It's like an engine. It may need to move. Well, it's empowering to know about that. Exactly. That's why people love this method is like, oh my gosh, I, I'm doing this and I understand the reason behind it. It's not just like, tell you to do this pose, get out of it, go home, and you're not really sure what happened. Right. And that was, that was definitely something for me that I really, I really gravitated towards personally. You know, but also going back to your point about you know, when you're... When you're in discomfort, your initial reaction is to stop, right? For me and for dancers, like something is always hurting, like, and stopping is not an option. So I remember one of my 
teachers growing up, when if some if someone said, "Oh, something hurts" or "I'm injured," she would ask you to describe the pain in such a way that it made it seem like we were being informed about our bodies. It wasn't just like, "Oh, I'm injured; I have to sit out." It was like, "Okay, well, what hurts when you do certain movements? What kind of pain is it?" And she would just have a checklist that we would go through. And that was the only teacher that took the time to really understand about our personal bodies, right? Because our reaction is, as humans, not as dancers, this hurts, I have to stop, right? And so imagine if we have the information to say, okay, but this hurts, but I don't have to stop. And here's why, right? Like if someone told me, like I was sidelined with plantar fasciitis for like two years. I never fully stopped, but I stopped jumping. I stopped doing certain things like and taking class and, and just life became very frustrating because it even hurt to walk the dog. And, you know, I did the shots and I did the boots and like I tried everything. And what made it worse was stopping. Like I took maybe a month or two off completely. And that was the worst thing that I could have done. But I was at my wit's end. I didn't know what else to do. So it's like, if we have the information about and it's not necessarily just per body part, like this is what you need to do, but just knowing that movement is not go- movement is not the enemy. Movement is not what caused it. Movement is not going to make it worse. But we need to change that narrative because that that is what we are told and taught to do forever. And I think that that's part of the problem. You know, some people are constantly saying, oh, "I can't." Do so and so because I have an injury. I have my I have a knee injury. I have a back injury. It's like okay, well, how do you think you got that injury? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and that is not the normal narrative. Even my dad, you know, I I, I know that you and I were talking. He, his, his knee has been hurting him, and I keep saying like, let's get you connected to Laura. And he's like, oh, it only hurts when I bend it. <laughs> what kind of mentality is that? That's what the knee. That that is the function of the knee to bend. Like why? Why are you choosing to live like that? It's just, I don't know. Is it, is it fear that like they're going to learn that something's serious that it's going to, you know? I, I always that was always where I went. If something hurt me, like oh my god, I'm going to need surgery. Like no, it's yeah. not always escalating to that. Well, and I think it's also like kind of the whole path of least resistance, That's because right. to look into something and uncover the why, it just takes some degree of, you know, detouring and energy. Like let's, we got to uncover it versus, well, I'll just take a pill. I'll just put some ice on it. I'll just, you know, carry on. I'm just getting old. I mean, you know, all of it, like, oh, I'm old. I'm going to have my, I'm going to have bad knees. And we, yeah. and, And what we don't realize is like, again, it is sometimes if we just look at it like an engine, like a car, that's right. You you, you yeah. main, you take maintenance, you take care of it. You don't just let it sit in a garage and never do, you know, you have to do the same things. And if something is a little wonky, you go get it tuned up. You That's don't right. stop using it. <laughs> and yeah. it's so similar. Our and we are like way more sophisticated than the most amazing car. So we we should be able to do that. I think we need a PR for the body, right? No. <laughs> PR for the human body. Like go. No. Because when you sit, when you really learn about how amazing it is, it's just and and we all have one, right? yeah, yeah, we have one, and it all pretty much does the same thing. And so many of us just have no idea. And I also, I also unfortunately, grew up 
hating my body, right? I, I punishing my body for things that it couldn't do or wouldn't do when I needed it to, or or it didn't do it as well as the person next to me. And and that is an awful, awful culture that we've developed in this country and you know, maybe in the world, I don't know. But that is also something that's rampant. And I don't think that that's helping the situation either because we feel like we have to deny ourselves or almost punish ourselves for our shortcomings with our body. But we, but we seem to only care about our body from a very superficial perspective, right? Vanity, yeah. Mm -hmm. All about, well, what does it look like? Right. Coming from ballet, that that literally is everything. It is all about what does your body look like, from the shapes you're making to the actual shape of your body. But you know, we're taught so young what you know a beautiful body looks like, or or what a good body looks like. And I think that that is probably the start of the downfall. I agree, and I do love like when when there have been. I don't know if it's like a very. Um, high profile thing now, but there've been these movements where it's like strong, not skinny and really talking about that powerful, like what your body can do. And I will often talk to my daughter, you know, she's a teenager and you know, all these, those are, those are tough years where all of a sudden you go from like the innocent, you're moving your body, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden somebody says something about their body or your body. And it just, then you just start questioning like, well, maybe mine is less than, you know? And so I always try and reframe it. Like when you're feeling that way, and this goes for anybody actually, so you don't have to be a teenager. When you start to feel that way and you're starting to like, oh my God, my legs are so fat or this thighs are like rubbing. Start thinking about what your body can do for you. Like, isn't it amazing that my legs are you know, going to take me through this yoga flow or take me on a five mile hike? And yeah. it sounds really dorky, but it's so powerful. I remember when I worked in um, rehab and, and I had so many, you know, really neurologically injured and otherwise uh, medically just severely debilitated patients. And I would walk out and I'd think, I'd like, it was almost like this spiritual moment. I would be like, remember this. Yes. I get to walk out of this hospital into this beautiful day over to my car and carry on. And I just, I did that enough times that that gratitude was just implanted, yep. you know, and that's a practice, you know, like you can, I, and I think that's what we have to start doing is being like, well, the alternative is my legs don't work that well. It doesn't really matter if, you know, I had the skinniest or thinnest or non-thigh chafing legs, if they don't work well for me, or I, you know, I have some horrible illness, like you don't want to get to the point where that happens. And then you're like, wow, I really would have loved to appreciate my body when it was working well for me. Oh, true. One of my, I'll never forget one of my teachers. I don't know how old he is. He's got to be in his 60s. Um, but he's very overweight now and smokes and just so unhealthy. And he would always come up to me and say, I spent my whole career being so unhappy and hating my body. And I mean, he was a beautiful dancer. He danced the Joffrey Ballet, pictures of him, beautiful body, beautiful legs, beautiful feet. And if you looked at him today, you would never know in a million years. And he would always say to me, he used to, he calls me Kimba. I guess there's a, there's a white lion cartoon from the eighties. I don't, Kimba the white, I don't, anyway, he would always call me Kimba. And he said, Kimba, 
please, because he, he would see the way I would look at myself in the mirror. And he's like, I spent my whole career miserable and hating everything about my body. And now look, and now look at me. He's like, please enjoy every day that you have it and be thankful because you're beautiful and you're moving and you're dancing and you're doing exactly what you want to be doing. He's like, please don't, he's like, learn from my mistakes. You know, and, and you know, he suffers from severe depression now. And he just, I, I, I look at him and I always think like, he's so right. You know, it's like, I spent so much of my time and the years that I was dancing and touring the country and doing everything that so many people dream about doing. And I was always, it was never enough. It was always like, well, when I make it or when I get this job or when I lose this weight and it's like, just stop. Like you're on tour on a, in a huge stage in a huge venue dancing at the Beacon Theater in New York City, like to sold out, like what more do you want out of this? Right. And it's like your, your level of your expectation and your definition of success has to evolve. Your, your level of where you can stop and be grateful, like it has to constantly evolve because if you're always living to just reach this goal that you think is the end all and whether it's to lose weight or to run a marathon or to do a triad, like people have all these crazy goals that they push, push, push to get to, that they miss everything that happens leading up to those that moment. And it's so sad. And so I really try, I really try to be better like that. I really try to be noticing of the process and grateful for the small lessons that happen along the way. Because when you get to that goal, it's not always what it's meant, like what you think it is, right? It's just doesn't mean that you're going to instantly be happier and life is going to be great. And we put so much weight on that. We put so much weight on, on that external, like what, what it looks like, that whatever that top success is for you, especially when it has things to do with the body, right? We, we've set these goals for ourselves and it's just like, okay, well, you got there. You were, you punished yourself the entire way to get there. And now you're here. And are you, is your life that much better now? Are you happier now? And usually the answer is going to be, well, not really. (laughs) No, if you didn't enjoy the process, right? Everybody says that, you know, like you think you're going to be happier once you make that amount of money or get to that acclaimed position. And, but if you aren't enjoying yourself along the way, so it is, it's very much goes back to like, our mission here at Lit is, is like the process, the transitions, every moment matters and celebrate it without always thinking, yeah, like we're tra- really, I, I know we've laughed about it, like trying to break down the like 30 days to be able to do this pose or something. And that's very catchy and it's great for marketing, but it also kind of you know goes into that. Right. And what we'd rather say is, Hey, if you actually commit yourself to 30 days and enjoy the process, you will change. Yep. Whether or not you are able to accomplish you know, this pose or this whatever, but you will change. Right. It's, it's the commitment um, and the willingness and, and, the, and then enjoying the process and appreciating it. Yep. Well, I am so grateful that you have that lens. You are looking at my stuff through and, and working on my stuff through. It's, it's really... I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for you. And I, I love being part of your team. And I, I know it's so, it's so cheesy when people say like, oh, it changed my life, but it really did. Right. I mean, Likewise. I mean, the growth that I've had 
uh, again, you know, I think this is another message that like surround yourself with really great people who believe in you, who are pulling for you and who, you know, just really work hard and, and, and like, like I'm saying, enjoy it because with Kim and the other members of my team, it's, it's just, it's joyful. And we have been able to just steam engine our way through a lot of stuff and, and have, you know, no end in sight. We're really just moving um, rocket like. And we are doing that because to surround yourself with good people who inspire you and who support you and buoy you. And you definitely do that. There's one thing that you said to me that literally made me make such a huge life decision. You said, stop apologizing for the things you want in life. I don't remember where or why you said it or if it was even to me personally, but you said it somewhere. And it was that in conjunction with the movement and, and the strength I was feeling internally. And that, for whatever reason, on the day that you said that and the way that it hit me, I mean, that was enough for me to quit my job, to go out on my own, to, you know, to start being, to start feeling pride in my own ideas and, and feeling confident enough to share them and, and to be a part of a bigger team. And it, it's amazing that when you just change your thinking and you realize like it's okay to take up space, it's okay to ask questions, it's okay to have ideas, and that's it. And, and once, you, once you can understand and be okay with that and not feel bad about it or not feel selfish about it or it comes a time where you have to do what's best for you. And that's everywhere across the board. And it's not meaning at the expense of someone else, right? It's never about that. But it's just like having this self-awareness and this confidence and this power about you. you know. And I really do think that the, your physical power and your mental and emotional power, they all kind of work on the same level and they play with each other all day long. But if you're not feeling strong in your body... You're not going to feel strong anywhere else. If your posture is bad and you're sitting small, and you and that is your whole being. Your whole being is small and apologetic and weak, and and it's like not until you realize like I can take up more space on this planet with my ideas and my beliefs and my actions towards others and how I can lift them up. It's like then then we're really we're, we we we've rolled up our sleeves now and we've gotten to work right like yeah. We have a, a solid starting point where we can really see the world for what it should be, and mm-hmm. and honestly, that is all you. For my realization of that in my own life is all thanks to you. Oh, oh, that makes me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh my god, that was beautiful. I don't even know how to respond, but that. Thank you. Well, we we um, we really see the spark in each other, and I think uh, it's just I'm just really grateful for you, and so. Everybody else, I want you to go check out my friend here, Kim, on on Instagram. She's at Soul for Hire. Mm-hmm. We'll have that on the show notes, which I love. That's from a song. And my gosh, you you should just we should have like uh, ten things to know about Kim because she is one of the most interesting people, really, I've ever met. I just I learn more things about you every time, and I'm like, wow. I mean, some of the things that you're into, I just love. She let Halloween. We were we were kind of destined to be together because my birthday is Halloween, and it's her favorite day. Well, that came out on our first meeting. Like your birthday was in Halloween, and I was like, "You are so lucky." <laughs> yes, we are destined to be together. 
Well, thank you so much, Kim. I love you. Kim has helped me so much. Look at Lit Yoga Method at Instagram. That is all Kim. She is brilliant. And check her out. And if you have any questions for Kim, you can write me at laura at lityoga.com and I will pass it on to her. And take my marketing course. (laughs) Yes. And absolutely. She has a marketing course for all you lit uh, teachers. Um, is, is it for anybody? It's really for the lit teachers because all the branding is in there. But yeah, it's really for the lit teachers, and I I had so much fun working on it because I really kind of took myself through the process of getting lit framed in, in a way that I think is making the impact. But it really is just about finding your own voice and finding uh, identifying your specific why and your story. Like you just heard my story. We know Laura's story. Like, what is your story? What how has it impacted you? And that story is is kind of your it's your PR. It's exactly how you're going to engage your students to want to be on the mat with you. And it's gonna empower you further to really step into the shoes of being a teacher and a leader. Because when you can speak about it in a way that it resonates with someone else, in in language that's really impactful. And then learn how to visually represent it, you know. So you'll learn graphic design from uh, Kristen, my you know my colleague, who's also an amazing, amazing person and think tank. Like she'll take you through graphic design and how to get your social media on time. I mean, I can't take all the credit for our social media. That is that is partly Kristen's too. You know, her strategy and her smart thinking and her her design landscape, but. It, we'll, we'll just we cover a lot of ground and and it's a lot of fun and you know you can reach out to us at any point and ask questions and we'll have live Q and A's. So if you're if you're really looking on on bringing your business to the next level and and figuring out how to talk about yourself in a way you know to help you grow your business and, and finances, then that's probably a smart move for you. Very smart. You know these are the things that um, what we're trying to do in the lit community is offer. You know the the most amazing teacher training, um, and then additional tools, right? That you're going to become an educated and informed teacher, and then how do you market that? And so we have all of that as part of our our entire lit world. So we have lots of things, right? Lit is the whole picture, and so if you're going to learn that, then we need to keep going with the whole picture. Like if you want to be a teacher of such an impactful method like you need all the tools to do that and it and being a teacher of any kind is so much more than just teaching a class i i really do believe that i mean the teachers that i've had in my life i've learned more from probably outside of the studio or stage and just being in their presence and hearing them speak and you know and that that includes you and that too laura like it that's teacher. A teacher is someone who can really guide you even past what their initial descriptor of their job is. And so let's give you the tools to do that. Absolutely. And that's what we're here for. So thank you so much for joining me today on my podcast, Kim. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. And as always, I'm pulling for you.